We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. So let me begin. Just um, what Pastor Desi picked up uh, just in the service leading there about thankfulness. This is something that's been on my heart um, a lot over the last few months. And just the power of being thankful, the power of gratitude, the power of actually flipping our perspective when we choose to actually not be thankful for every circumstance, but be thankful in every circumstance. And actually we choose, we can choose the atmosphere of our heart, we can choose the atmosphere that we are living in, we can choose the atmosphere that we, that we walk into each day with. And it really is a choice, it really is a choice. Colossians 3, 16 talks about, cult, in the message translation, cultivate thankfulness. That means it doesn't actually come naturally. It does sometimes when things are going well, when things are understandable, when we can uh, work out maybe a little bit of what God's doing. But when we can't, when we don't understand the circumstances, when we don't um, uh, maybe feel like things are going the way we want them to, that's when we cultivate thankfulness. Thankfulness and gratitude is so powerful. I really do believe, like Pastor Desi picked up on it, but I believe it is a word for your church at the moment. If you can choose in the midst of everything you're walking through to be thankful, like I say, not for the circumstance, but in it, um, God's going to radically change things around because what happens is it changes our internal disposition. It may not change the external circumstance, but it changes our perspective within it. I love often saying to people, you know, we too often view God's character through the filter of our circumstances. And because we're going through stuff, we're like, oh no, I'm going through this, therefore God must have left me, or I'm going through this, therefore God isn't faithful. And um, the fact is God's character does not change. He is good. He is good all the time. That doesn't change. That is complete foundational truth. God is good. Therefore, if we choose to view our circumstances through the filter of his character, it flips the whole thing on its head. So when we can choose to say, God is good, therefore, what I'm walking through has a purpose. Therefore, what I'm experiencing currently in my reality, there's an upgrade for me. There's something that, that maybe if I choose to be thankful in it, God is going to do something that's going to actually shift something in me to the next level. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage you. And then just, oh, real weird, but just doing, this is how we party this morning. Hey, how cool that we're doing all our own songs. Hey, like our equipper's songs, it's really cool. But um, I, I love This Is How We Party because I love the first line of that song that says, breaking open every tied up mind. And this morning, just as I start, I just want to declare freedom and thinking over this place. I want to declare that every mind that might be bound up by some perspective or some way of thinking that needs to align itself again with heaven this morning, I speak freedom over you minds. I speak freedom over you thought processes and you and your um mindsets and just say, be released, be free, align yourselves with heaven this morning so that what uh, well, maybe I'm going to share this morning might uh, land and actually cause some shift in hearts this morning. So thank you, Father. Thank you that, Lord, you're always challenging our mindsets. Oh, you're always challenging our mindsets and aligning our thoughts with the thoughts of heaven. Father, we declare this morning that our thoughts um, are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are higher than ours. Your ways are higher than ours. And we can choose. We can choose to align our thoughts with yours. So, Father, we do that this morning. And we ask for freedom in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, is that okay? Good. So, I want to... Um, 
I want to share something this morning from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. And it really is talking about this whole area of mindsets and thinking and what we choose and what we allow and what we align ourselves with. And how when we do align ourselves with the right thing, it does bring shift and a, a change in our in our internal, which works itself out on the external. And uh, like, I don't know about you, but I just think we are living in the most amazing time of history. <laughs> like, I am so glad I was not born in the 15th century. Like, you know, like no electricity, no coffee machines, no um, cars, no heaters. Like, seriously, like I, I'm so thankful that God positioned me and my family in this time. Um, and do you know what I love? Like every, every era in history, God has been on the move and God is doing something. But I, I, I think we are living in the most exciting times. And the fact that God chose every single one of you to be positioned in this time is pretty phenomenal. And it means that we have a, we have a job to do, we, but we've got something to, to um, connect with God on and to co-label with Him on. I love that. We get the chance to co-create and to, to, to um, co-label with God and bringing about His purposes on the earth. And uh, like, pretty amazing. So, so how many people have heard of that whole theory of there being 500-year cycles in the history of the world or, or even in church history. So I'm not, I'm not trying to put like a spin on anything and say, hey, we can determine that, you know, every 500 years. But there does seem to be a pattern where every 500 years in church history, God does something. And God, as it were, takes out the garbage and, and, and that he shakes up the ideologies of the church and the thinking and the ways we are operating and shakes it up and brings the church back to alignment with his heart and his purposes. And our, most of us here would know that last year marked the 500-year mark of the Reformation where Martin Luther uh, in and Germany realized that, you know, the, the Catholic Church, the stuff that they were teaching and, and imposing on people was not biblical or godly by any stretch of the imagination. And he really, um, even though in hindsight he, he would have seen it, but at the time he, he was just kind of making his voice known, didn't realize the reformation that would happen through the things that he brought to light. And, and just living by faith, not living by rules and regulations, but just that sense of the Holy Spirit coming back into the church. And so 500 years ago, last year, which means we're still in that era, there was a huge, the Great Reformation. And I believe we are at that point again. Hey, like anyone else agree with me on that? Like there's just stuff happening. And we're in a season of acceleration. We're in a season of huge breakthrough where God is doing some pretty phenomenal things. And He chose you to be part of that. Wow. <laughs> it makes me really excited. <laughs> like seriously. Um, so, so what, whichever way you look at it, when God shakes the church again, He brings in a new form of Christianity. It's not a new uh, way of doing things. It's really just realigning us back with what His true intent for relationship with Him was. And, and this is what I, I sense, and I'm, I'm not you know, an authority on this, but just the things that I'm sensing in my own spirit that God, I feel He's been saying over the last few years, probably the last 10 or so years, um, is that he's, he's uh, three things I want to highlight. The first is that he is bringing us to an absolute revelation of our, our royal status as sons and daughters. We are royalty. We are not servants. Yes, there are times that we operate as servants, and that's a privilege, but we are royalty. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That means we have all the rights and privileges that go with being royal sons and daughters. And that means we've got to change some of our thinking. 
Because too often we're still thinking as orphans. We're still thinking as servants. We're still thinking as ones who are low. But we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. That is our reality. We don't have to be um, hanging our heads low and, and walking with our, with our shoulders stooped. If we truly believe what the Bible says, that we are sons and daughters, that means we have all the rights and privileges of royalty. And that's phenomenal. So, so that's the number one thing. Number two. I believe he's um, bringing us back to an absolute revelation of the Father's heart of love for us. So as sons and daughters, we have a Father who loves us. We have a Father who is for us. We have a Father who has destined us for great things in Him, but more than anything, He's destined us for a relationship. And that's, man, that's amazing. I want to encourage you this morning. Stop thinking like a servant. Realize you are a son or daughter and the Father's love is all you need. When you allow Him to wrap you up in the embrace of His pure, godly, fatherly love, it changes everything. That's got to be our vantage point. And then the third thing, the revelation of true intimacy with Him being what we were created for. We are the bride of Christ. He's coming back for His wife. Sounds a bit weird to some people, but, but, but you know what? And this is what I love. The marriage relationship and the family dynamic was designed to reflect the relationship that we have with Him. And it's no wonder that the enemy, the number one attack on, um, that the enemy uses is the attack on marriage and the attack on family. You look at what's happening in this nation and nations around the world. The family is under huge attack. The family is a fabric of society. That's the thing. Strong families are what hold society together. Marriages and, and children being brought up in a, um, a loving family unit. And so the enemy is all out attacking marriage and family. And it has to stop because that is the reflection of, of God's heart for us and His purpose for us and who He's coming back for, His bride. He's not coming back for a business associate. He's not coming back for a servant. He's not coming back for a worship leader or a pastor. Uh, he's coming back for His wife, the bride that He has an intimate, close, connected relationship with. So those are the three things that I believe God's bringing us back to a revelation of or a knowledge of. We are royal sons and daughters. We have a, an, um, uh, uh, a relationship of intimacy with Him, and He is our Father. And that's the reflection. As we, as we understand that as individuals, we're going to walk that out. And society and the, the city and our nation will be changed through that. Does that make sense? Cool. But the fact is, with each of these things, there seems to be a key in the way we think about them and mindsets that need to change. And I hope you didn't mind me praying that at the beginning, but I just sense as we sung that song that we just needed to kind of clear the air a bit. And so open-minded, be open-minded this morning to what God's going to share. Because I think, oh God, I'm not God, but hopefully God's speaking through me. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like have an open mind. Get rid of the things that would, would cloud your thinking and just say, yeah, I'm going to listen. I'm going to take on board this this morning. Um, the fact is, in this, in this, um, sorry, my computer just frozen. In this age we're living in, and what I love is, um, in probably the last twenty to thirty years, like we all we read verses like, "As a man thinks in his heart, so he is," and "You'll be transformed as you renew your mind." And we read those at face value, and we think, "Cool, yep," and then we don't do anything about it. <laughs> the cool thing is, the last twenty to thirty years, just the um, increase in knowledge in the area of psychology and neurology, and especially neuroplasticity, which I'm really fascinated in. I just think. Uh, like, and so neuroplasticity is the is the 
probably relatively new scientific discovery that our brains are not actually hardwired and hard fixed, but they are malleable, they are moldable, and they are able to be changed by what we think. So our mind is separate from our brain. Anyone, anyone heard of or read Dr. Caroline Leaf's material? Amazing. Switch on your brain. She talks, she's a, she studied neuroplasticity for probably the last 20 to 30 years, but she is also a full-on Christian and she will not take on board anything that science would spout that can't be backed up by scripture. And so this whole area of neuroplasticity is literally you will be transformed as you renew your mind. So the mind is separate from the brain. The mind and thought patterns and processes shape the brain. And so if we continue to think in a toxic way, if we continue to think negative thoughts, we will form neural pathways that will end up taking us down that track every time. And if we've thought things from a young age as a child, if we've been shaped and molded to think certain ways or to take on board certain mindsets, then unless we do something to address those and address them with truth, it's very hard to get out of that way of thinking. And uh, you know, for some of you who have read my book, I talk about this because this has been a big part of my journey, having to really address mindsets and thought processes and say, if I keep thinking this way, I'm going to end up in a very dark place. Um, I think often people with a more creative bent or a more sensitive bent are more prone to that sort of thing too. And so having to challenge thought processes, like I said before, his ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are higher than ours. But the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. So what I love is the fact that the the power of Christ, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. Do you know what's super cool? We don't live in a visitational culture anymore. We live in a habitational culture, which means that God doesn't just visit us anymore because of Pentecost, because of the Holy Spirit pouring into the earth. We now have him living in us. Like that blows me away. That's freaking cool. (laughs) And that means we have everything we need. It means we do have the mind of Christ. We've just got to choose to accept that and align our thoughts with what he says is truth. And what he says is truth is in the Bible. Yes? Cool. So... Let me start, that was kind of by way of an introduction. I hope that's all right. But let me start by, um, by reading to you a, a passage of Scripture. And I have three points this morning. But if you want to write down a title to my message, it is Don't Be Boxed In. Don't be boxed in. So let me read to you from Mark chapter 6. Uh, and this is in the message translation. Starting from verse 1. Uh, Jesus left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along with him, and on the Sabbath he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He made a real hit, impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden, get such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter. He's Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, and Simon, and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling, and they never got any further. That's scary. Jesus told them a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives on the streets he played in as a child. Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, but that's all. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left and made a circuit of the other villagers teaching. So this is Jesus, Messiah, with his disciples coming back to his hometown, his home turf. 
And as usual, he would go into the synagogue and preach on a Sunday. And the people that knew him were like, whoa. They obviously hadn't seen him for a while. So he's in the, in the midst of his three years of powerful Holy Spirit fired up ministry. And so he comes to his hometown and he preaches. And they're like, man, like, how do you, whoa, whoa, like this, he's amazing. How do you get so wise? Where do you get such ability? This is awesome. And so they had this little window of a way of thinking, of a little bit of a revelation of who Jesus truly was. And then it says, and in the very next breath, they cut him down. In the very next breath, Jesus opened up a window of opportunity for his home body people, his homeboys, whatever. I'm not trying to be cool, but I'm so not. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Des. <laughs> anyway, so he opened up an opportunity for the people that he grew up with. So these are his friends, his family, the people that knew him. And, and his hometown was only about 400 people. So they knew him. They'd probably babysat him. They'd changed his swaddling clothes, whatever. <laughs> you know, like they, they knew him. They knew him as a kid. They knew him. They saw him growing up. And so they had formed a perception of Jesus that was based on human experience. They'd formed a perception of who Jesus was and what he'd do based on what they knew of him in the past. And so now Jesus comes back into town and he's preaching in the synagogue and it's powerful and it's power packed. And they're like, whoa, how do you get so smart? Like, this is awesome. And then straight away, so there's this window and then straight away, whoop, their default setting kicks in and they choose to believe and agree with their, their perceptions of Jesus and they cut him down. And they say, oh, who does he think he is? Like, um, like that, that's basically, but we know Jesus. He's, he was a kid. We, we know his family. We know everything about him. Like, this can't be right. And, and the scary thing is they stifled Jesus' ability to do anything miraculous. It's funny how it says he healed a few sick people, but that was about all. Like, if I saw a few sick people getting healed right now, I'd be like, whoa, this is flipping awesome. But um, so he was able to heal a few sick people, but that's all he could do. I've read that passage so many times and thought, oh, Jesus was kind of a bit miffed at them. You know, he, he's, he quotes that, um, that part that says, you know, a prophet in his own hometown is an honoured, and so where there's no honour, and so we, we talk about the power of honour, which I fully agree with. We talk about all that sort of stuff. But, and, and I always think it meant that he chose not to. He's like, oh, right then, you know, I'm not going to do anything to you stubborn people. It does say that he was quite blown away by their stubbornness. He couldn't believe their stubbornness. But actually, the Bible says he couldn't do any miracles. He couldn't do anything miraculous in that place. That's super scary. Because that means we actually have the ability to shut down and stifle the power of Jesus working in our midst because of the way we think about Him, because of our human experience, because of our human understanding of Him, because a default setting will come back in and because we want to keep Him safe and comfortable and understandable. And when Jesus busts out of the box and does some stuff that maybe we don't understand, when he breaks out of the, the barriers and does some things that we're like, whoa, this is kind of freaky. I, I haven't got a frame of reference for this. Then we just immediately scurry back to our default setting. And could it be that Jesus is unable to do some stuff in our lives because our mindsets, because the way we're thinking about him, because of our perceptions of the way he should move in our circumstances, in our city, in our families, in our situations, we, we determine how we think Jesus should behave. We determine what the outcome should be. 
And Jesus is stifled at that point. It's not that he chooses not to. He desperately wants to break through. But we limit him because of our mindsets, because of our thinking, because of the way that we perceive. I remember a quote from someone at one stage, I can't remember who it was, but it said, if we could understand everything there was to know about about God, if we could understand the way He works, know His character, know His nature, and, and fully understand everything there is to know about Him, He would only be as big as our finite mind and not worthy of our worship. I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship and follow and believe a God that is understandable. I don't want to work Him out. I want to spend eternity discovering more about Him. I want Him to be way, way bigger than I can comprehend. Because that actually, even though that might seem scary sometimes, it actually brings safety. Because there are so many questions, so many questions that we have that we don't have answers to in this life or that we won't have answers to in this life. And actually the safety of saying, God is good and therefore I will trust Him. God is good, and therefore I don't need to understand why my way is, is, is going this way. I don't need to understand these circumstances. I can just trust. That brings safety. That brings safety. So number one, don't box Jesus in. The, the people that knew Him best had a glimpse of His greatness, and then they stifled what He was doing. A little caution there. You know, you might be seeing God do a little bit of something in your life, and you could be like, whoa, this is awesome. But maybe there's way more. Maybe, maybe he's just challenging you this morning to, to actually think bigger, to align your thoughts with what the Word of God says and to maybe discover that you're maybe stifling him in some way. Don't box him in. Don't try and work him out. Don't try and work him out. Worship Him for who He is. He is a great God. He is almighty God. He is unfathomable. His, we, we have the privilege of searching out His mysteries, but we're never going to discover them all. And like I said before, I want to stay in that place where, he, where I can't work them all out. Is that cool? So number one, don't box Jesus in. We have to let Him show us where our mind sets or a sense of familiarity with Him. And possibly even the way we speak about Him is stifling His power. Cool? Okay, so number two, Mark 6 again. This is now verse 7 to something else, 7 to 13. Let me read this to you. So, so you know, Jesus has left his hometown because he can't do anything there. And he's moved on to other surrounding villages and he's taken the 12 disciples with him. Then he says this in verse 7. Jesus called the 12 to him and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority and power to deal with the evil opposition. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds, just keep it simple. And no luxury inns, but thank you for the distinction. It was really beautiful to stay there this weekend. <laughs> just thought I'd add that in. Um, no luxury inns, get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you're not welcomed, not listened to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene, shrug your shoulders and be on your way. And then they were on the road. So this is the disciples going out in pairs. I love this, I love this. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. And right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies and healing their spirits. This is pretty cool. So, so this is the disciples who've just been with Jesus in Nazareth where, where they've you know, shut down his power. And he's like, right, Let's go to some places where we're going to be received. And so he sends them out in, in pairs. But the first thing he does, it says he gives them all authority and power. He gave them authority and power to deal with anything that the devil would throw at them. 
anything. Didn't say, I'll give you some authority, a little bit of authority and power to, to heal a few people. I'll give you a bit of authority and power to, um, you know, un, unrelease chains or whatever, break chains off people. It said he gave him, gave them all authority and power to deal with the evil that the devil would throw at them. That meant everything. And so they went out two by two and did incredible things. They saw it right and left. It said the demons went, they saw the demons packing and they healed people and they brought wellness to, to, um, to spirits and to people's bodies as well. What I love though is it said, um, you don't need to take a lot of extra equipment with you. Like he said, I've given you power and authority and you are the equipment. You are, you've got everything you need. Like I said at the beginning, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Like I have to remind myself of that almost daily because too often we default back to just living the way we know to live, living the way that is kind of safe and comfortable and able to be worked out. But if we want to see Dunedin change, if we want to see this region radically transformed, we've got to know that we carry everything we need to see that happen. That means in any conversation with someone in your workplace, in your family, and when you're studying, conversations can be imbued with the life-giving, life-changing power of the resurrected Jesus. It is so good. <laughs> it's flipping awesome. But do we challenge ourselves to think that way? Or do we just go, oh, it's just same old, same old today. You know, like, I might meet someone, I might have the courage to smile at someone on the street or have a bit of a chat or maybe I'll just stick with the people I know, you know, like because it's comfortable and safe. God's, God's given us a commission. He's given us, put us on mission. He's given us the ability to transform people's lives. He's given us the privilege of co-laboring with Him. He's given us that job to do. His power in us is doing the work. And Jesus said to His disciples, don't take any extra equipment. You don't need to put programs and, and structures and systems around this call. You are the equipment. You have everything you need. Just take yourselves and go and do what I'm, I'm giving you the power to do. And so, so that's what the disciples did. Funny thing is, though, um, like, I, like I mentioned, too often our thought processes or our mindsets will stop that from happening. So we hear Jesus say, I've given you all power and all authority. You've got it all. If you just would dare to believe what the Bible said, you would see amazing stuff happening in your everyday lives, interacting with people, seeing people's lives changed and transformed, your own life changed and transformed. But, but we too often default to the Nazarenes, like the ones who said to Jesus, who does he think he is? And, but what happens is we hear the enemy whisper to us, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You, you, that's a bit of a grand dream, isn't it? This dream you have to see your e-group double, this dream you have to see your unsaved family. Like, who do you think you are? You think you've got the power to do that? You think you're, well, yeah, <laughs> we do have the power to do that. We do have the power to see lives change. But we default back to our insecurity and our mindsets that says, you know, I'm, I'm inadequate. I don't have what I need. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's how the enemy keeps us trapped and held down with our shoulders um, stooped. And, and the world looks on and goes, well, how are you any different to us? How are you any different to us? You know, and we, and we bow to those thoughts. We bow to those feelings. We bow to those insecurities, those inadequacies. And all the time, Jesus is saying, you're the equipment. You have everything you need. Don't put a process and a system and a, and a structure around this thing. You've got it. You've got all you need. Now just walk in it. So we need to challenge ourselves and the way we think. Um, 
I often catch myself, like I've said, this has been a big part of my own journey is learning to address mindsets and I haven't arrived yet. I'm still on that journey. But, um, but you know, often I'll, I'll catch myself thinking a certain way and then it will come out my mouth. And as soon as that my thought has become a feeling and has erupted out of my mouth, it's carrying creative power. You know, and I'll say something about, about myself in some way. And, you know, Wayne or especially my daughter Grace will go, whoa, like seriously, did you just hear what you just said about yourself? And I'm like, oh, true, like true. Did I say that out loud? I should just keep it in my head. But no, don't just keep it in your head. <laughs> like we've got to challenge the way we think. Feelings are always stirred by thoughts. Our feelings always follow the way we think. And when thought processes are so ingrained that we just think them without even naturally realizing we are, that's when the feelings spring up and we think, I'm feeling it, so it must be true. I'm feeling inadequate. I'm feeling weighed down. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling fearful. Therefore, it must be truth. That's a load of rubbish. Align your thoughts with what the Word of God says. I know I've preached a message like this here before, but it's, it's a life message for me. We have to get rid of the... Um, boxes we put around ourselves. Oh, that was my second point. Don't box yourself in. <laughs> Number one, don't box Jesus in. Number two, don't box yourself in. Get yourself out of the box. Dare to go against what you're feeling and say, no, I am the equipment. I have everything I need. The same, even if you have to say to yourself 10 times a day, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. Therefore, I have everything I need. Therefore, I have everything I need. And when we, when we think that way, when we challenge ourselves, it's possible to change a thought process in 21 days. Just the same way as you form a habit, you can change neural pathways in the same amount of time if you are diligent with thinking the right things. But the, the new pathways that form will then take your thoughts down a good, healthy path. And then the feelings follow, and then all of a sudden our language lines up, and all of a sudden we're co-creating with Jesus and seeing stuff happen in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. So can I encourage you to do that? Um, I've been listening to a lot of, anyone listen to Graham Cook? Anyone heard of Graham Cook? I love Graham Cook. He's an English dude, prophetic sort of, you know, just real laid back. And, um, but he talks a lot about the art of thinking brilliantly and having the mind of a saint. And he just says this simple line. He goes, if, if, you, if you have a thought that doesn't make you feel good about yourself and Jesus, then just choose another thought. <laughs> It's as simple as that. Choose to think differently. Choose to think differently. It takes hard work at the beginning to keep thinking the right thing. And, but eventually your, your feelings will line up and then you begin to create with your words. Is that cool? Nice. Okay, number three. Point number three. Let me read to you from Mark again. Um, and this is verse 30 to 44. So in between Mark... 12 and 30, it's just an account of King Herod beheading John the Baptist. Um, oh, that sounded like it was, hmm, he's beheading John the Baptist, like, yeah, just, it was horrible. But, um, but this is where I want to read from. <laughs> Verse 30, um, the apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus. So, so basically the little segue of John the Baptist's beheading was just a bit of a, a backstory. But now the apostles have come back from their missions trip in pairs and they've rendezvoused with Jesus. And it says this, the apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all they had done and taught. They were excited, man. Like they were like, whoa, this is my own, you know. But they were, yeah, look, the demons went packing. We saw the, the, the sick healed. We saw God do incredible things. Um, so they, they reported reported on all they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, come off by yourselves. Let's take a break and get a little rest. That's a word for someone. It's okay to rest. Jesus did it. 
for there was constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. So this is busy ministry. So they got in the boat and went off to a remote place by themselves. Someone saw them going and the word got around. Um, from the surrounding towns, people went out on foot running and got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd and at the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were. So he went right to work teaching them. They'd gone off to have a rest and the people come and Jesus' compassion kicks in and he set right to work teaching them. <laughs> in verse 35, when his disciples thought this had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day. They interrupted. We're a long way out in the country and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so they can get some supper. And Jesus said to them, you do it. Fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go and spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. That didn't take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. I love the message translation. Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100, and they looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out in the green grass. Oh, cute. Um, he took the five loaves and the two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to the disciples. And the disciples in turn gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish, and they all ate their fill. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. More than 5,000 were at the supper. That's, I mean, we've read, again, we've read that story over and over, and we have our own perceptions about it. When did the miracle take place? Was it in the hands of the disciples? Was it as Jesus blessed it? Was it, were they really big, big loaves? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? We try and figure it out, hey? And uh, like, we can't. So my point number three is don't box his power in. Don't box his power in. Because here, now here's the thing. The disciples have just come back from this unbelievable missions trip. They've seen demons packing. They've um, seen the like, sick, like wellness come to people. Mental, physical, emotional. They've been healed. They've seen incredible things. And this is just them in pairs with all the power of heaven itself in them. So they, they're pretty aware of Jesus' power in them right about now. And so, so then they come back and they're telling Jesus all excited about what he's, what, 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 what's happened. And then he goes, okay, well, let's, let's just regroup. Let's go away and get a rest. And as they're on their way off in a boat, the crowds gather. And so here's another chance for an absolutely incredible miracle. And it's almost like Jesus is setting them up. You know, like so, so, but, but what I, what, what I find quite incredible is the disciples' attitude towards this. So Jesus, out of compassion, starts preaching and teaching and sharing his heart with the people, 5,000 people. And that one line that says, when the disciples thought this had gone on long enough, like what the... This is, this is Jesus' heart of compassion. They've just seen incredible things in this ministry trip. And now Jesus preaching and, and, and what have you. And they're like, yeah, I'm getting a bit over it. It's gone on long enough. This church service is taking a little bit long. Yeah, church is going over time today. Or this, this, this um, thing I'm walking with this friend who's going through a hard time, it's going on a little bit long. Like, you know, those words, that attitude, Jesus was about to open up an incredible miracle and he was giving them the chance to see it come to fruition. He wanted them to perform the miracle. He was giving them a chance to see something even greater than what they'd just seen. And a supernatural, can't work it out with your rational mind miracle. You know, they'd just seen all this incredible stuff. So they knew his power. Then all of a sudden, again, human thinking. Oh, it's gone on a bit long. 
getting a bit tired. People are hungry, probably need to send them away. They got caught up in human thinking again and in what was natural and normal and safe and comfortable and their perception of it. So, so, they, so they say to Jesus, hey, should we just send the people off to go and get supper? He goes, you do it. You fix them supper. I can imagine him, like almost a little smile on his face, like, go on, you do it. Remember, you've got all power. You've got all authority. I've given it all to you. You do it. You fix them supper. They're like, natural thinking again. Are you serious? Like you want us to spend a fortune buying food for this crowd? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm about to show you another miracle. I'm about to reveal to you the supernatural ability. How many, how many loaves and fish do we have? They're like, we've got five loaves and two fish. Again, they're just like, their, their limited thinking was, was almost about to have the ability, but, but Jesus, Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going with that. You, you, you fix some supper, and, um, and, and they were like, oh, you know, and so he's like, okay, I'm going to show you how to do it. So they, they were about to box his power in. They were about to, again, close him into to human thinking, to a human way of doing things. Why do we as humans always want to work it out? Why do we always want to try and see how the miracle is going to come about? Predictions and, and Jesus operated this way in the past. He gave us power to heal the sick and to, to release people from demonic oppression. But I don't, I don't think he can multiply some food. Like that just seems, yeah, I, I, I don't know if we certainly can't do that. But Jesus was giving them again the glimpse of an incredible miracle. The, the glimpse of his supernatural power. But, but asking them to co-create with him asking them to be amongst it, to be part of the miracle. I want to be part of the miracle. I want to be part of His power. I want to see my family saved. Um, you know, I've still got unsafe family members. I want to see our students in Creative Lab who are walking, some of them, through hard things. I want to see them released. I want to see the power of Jesus. And it starts with me knowing that I have that power in me. I don't need any special equipment. You don't need any special equipment. It just takes changing your mindset and daring to believe that Jesus' power is all we need. So don't box his power in. What I love about this, so Jesus performed the miracle and then, and then uh, at the end, the end of the chapter. Uh, sorry, this is, this is, so they've fed the 5,000 and then it says this. As soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead across to Bethsaida. Is that how you say it? Bethsaida. Anyway, uh, while he dismissed the congregation. After sending them off, he climbed a mountain to pray. And late at night, the boat was far out at sea. Jesus was still by himself on the land, but he could see his men struggling with the oars, the wind having come up against them. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. This isn't the Peter walking on the sea story. He intended to go right by them. I don't, I don't kind of get that bit, but I don't need to understand. He intended to go right by them, but when they saw him walking on the, on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and screamed, scared out of their wits. Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. And as soon as he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. They were stunned, shaking their heads, wondering what was going on. They didn't understand what he'd done at the supper. None of this had yet penetrated their hearts. Then they beached the boat at Gennesaret and tied up at the landing. As soon as they got out of the boat, word got around fast again. People ran this way and that, bringing their sick on stretches to where they heard he was. And wherever he went, village or town or country crossroads, they brought their sick to the marketplace and begged him to let them touch the edge of his coat. That's all. 
and whoever touched him became well. Whoever touched him became well. I love that last part of that passage because it, it actually brought the humanness of the, of the disciples to light. It said the truth of what had happened hadn't yet fully penetrated their hearts. And yet as we read through the Gospels and into the book of Acts, we see that when the Holy Spirit, so remember the disciples were still in a visitational culture. Jesus had come to earth as Messiah, but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit living in them at that point. He'd given them power. He'd given them his power. But when the book of Acts, when Pentecost came, remember we celebrated Pentecost last Sunday. And that's, that's a huge um, event in the life of the Christian church. The power of the Holy Spirit now coming into the earth, invading the earth, but invading men's hearts. And it means that forever we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. We are in a habitational culture. He lives in us. And we see when, when the Holy Spirit came into the earth and suddenly the disciples were filled with his power and his presence, all of a sudden we see Peter, Peter who denied Jesus, who was one of those disciples, who saw some incredible things, but the full truth hadn't yet penetrated their hearts. All of a sudden we see him preaching boldly. We see them doing the same miracles, the same things that Jesus did. And the Bible says, and even greater. We have the ability to do even greater than what Jesus did when he was on earth. And Goodness knows our world needs it. Our world needs the even greater. Our world needs what we carry. Our world needs what we are, what we are, are carrying. We are kingdom carriers. We are atmosphere changers. Dare to believe it this morning. Dare to understand what that looks like for your everyday life. It's not about just going, okay, Lord, well, if you bring someone, look for opportunities. Look for chances to show Jesus to those around you because they need what you carry. And you know what's beautiful is that you don't have to be perfect for that to happen. The disciples had a glimpse. In those three years, they had a glimpse. They had, you know, Peter, was, it was revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah. And in the next breath, he, um, he was able to deny Jesus. You know what I mean? So they had glimpses. There was still the up and down, the up and down. But we now know the full truth. We have the full power of God living in us. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't box Jesus in. Stop boxing yourselves in. Dare to believe that you have everything you need. Don't, don't by your words talk about the way you perceive Jesus to be and how He's going to operate. Dare to believe more. Don't box yourselves in, yourselves, yourselves in. Dare to believe that you have all the power you need. And then don't box His power in. Don't try and determine what He's going to do. Just go with the flow. This is a season of acceleration in the church of Jesus Christ. This is a season of acceleration and breakthrough where God is doing things that are beyond what we've seen before. I believe we're living in last days. I'm not determining how long those last days are going to last. It could be another however long. But I think we are in the last season, the last era of the church. These are glorious days. You know, Colossians 3, God challenged me to read. Colossians 3, again this week, challenged me. Um, and I want to read you just real quickly as, as Andrew's praying, and then we're going to pray. As Andrew's playing, are you praying as well? Always. Excellent. <laughs> but it says this at the beginning of Colossians 3. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. If you find yourselves this morning 
caught in a, in a mind funk where you've thought things for so long that it's shaped the way you feel and it's shaping your language and you're boxing in the Jesus and you're boxing yourself in and you're boxing in His power. I want to encourage you this morning, dare to think differently. Ask the Holy Spirit. That's why I prayed that at the beginning of the service because our minds can get so tied up in, in mental wall gathering and in insecurities and things and, and conflict and relational issues and stuff that doesn't matter. If you're serious about this resurrection life with Jesus, act like it. Doesn't mean that doesn't say wait till you feel it. It says act, act. Put into action what you know is right. Put into action what the Bible says. That everything we need for living right and well is in that book. And you know what's cool? Jesus still speaks today. I hear him speak to me every day. In my quiet time, I'll talk. I'll talk back and forth and he gives me keys for that day. All truth is in the Bible. The Bible is all truth, but there's still His voice. He's still living, His Kairos living Word. He still speaks to us on a daily basis if we dare to listen. And that's exciting. He He tells me where my mind needs to change. Believe me, He tells me where my mind needs to change. Stop thinking that. If you're gonna think that way, you're gonna go down this path. And He challenges me. He speaks to me. And I act. I try and put it into action because that's what the Bible says. If you're serious, about living this resurrection life with Jesus, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. But then I love when it says, don't shuffle along with your eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. That's what the the hometown people were doing. Oh, it's just Jesus. We know Him. You know, they were absorbed with what they could see in the natural. The, the disciples did these amazing things and then straight away it's like, you do it. You like, are you serious? Like straight away, human thinking. They box themselves in, they box Jesus in, they box his power in. I want to encourage you today, dare to think differently. Dare to think differently. If the thought you are having right now doesn't make you feel good about yourself or about Jesus and his heart for you, have another thought. Just choose. Just choose. So this morning, I just love you. I want to close your eyes. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.